We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast as I double check to make sure that my microphone is on and it is. Um, yeah, so we today on Finding Freedom, we have a solo episode. That's right, just me uh, talking about some really important topics trending in the news at this time in our world. And my gosh, there is a lot going on. Um, we're going to talk about the COVID vaccine, uh, the jab, as they say. I think you, you can say that now on uh, on YouTube and these different platforms without being uh, you know, shadow banned. Maybe, maybe not. We'll find out. We're going to talk about what Donald Trump Jr. has to say about war. Has he had enough war? Um, we're going to dig into some interesting uh, charts around income and income trends over the years in the U.S. We're going to look at how distrusted media is at an all-time high. And then lastly, going to touch on six terrifying steps with the uh, the Israeli-Gaza conflict that could lead us into World War III. Okay, so first, starting out with the vaccine. There was a tweet um, sent out yesterday, and if you're listening to this on Monday, this is being recorded on Sunday, October 22nd, published on Monday, October 23rd. So this tweet came out on the 21st from Steve Kirsch. Steve Kirsch, very successful uh, business guy, owner, actually inventor to, I believe, I might be incorrect, but I believe he invented the mouse, which I'm holding up right here, like the computer mouse, not the actual you know little mouse that runs around. No, God invented that mouse. Steve Kirsch invented uh, this mouse you use on a computer, which I'm using right now to open up Windows and look at the tweet. But Steve Kirsch, you know, at the beginning of COVID, when the vaccines rolled out, he got vaccinated. He had some adverse reactions and began looking into the vaccine. And he's spent the past few years um, interviewing people, digging into the data on vaccinations and COVID, and really elevating and uh, helping to bring people together to talk about you know really critical ideas around uh, around this topic. And uh, Steve Kirsch tweets out on um, on Saturday, breaking: you can now sue mRNA COVID vaccine manufacturers for damages and the FDA is required to take COVID vaccines off the market. Why? Question mark. Adulteration. Uh, the plasmid bioactive contaminant sequences were not pointed out to regulatory authorities. It's considered adulteration. I just got off the phone with Professor Byram Brittle and Dr. Robert Malone on this. And he has, you know, Steve has many tweets that go into different um, layers of detail talking about what he means by this. Um, 
when they're talking about this uh, adulteration or uh, contamination and it not being reported or, or not being um, really communicated or and not being pointed out um, by these corporations, Pfizer and Moderna, to uh, the uh, regulatory agencies. And this uh, adulteration that they found is called SV40. What is SV40? I'm not going to pretend to be some sort of expert in this. I'm going to play some clips here um, in a minute uh, from Steve Kirsch and four, or sorry, three experts um, in this field um, that he had on to talk about this um, over the weekend. So the SV40 promoter is found in all, this is another tweet from Steve. The SV40 promoter is found in all vowels and it, and it was in the gene sequence that was provided to the regulators. There is no, misp- no mistake. The problem was that neither drug company ever pointed it out to the regulators. It's an unapproved contaminant that doesn't meet the standard set. So regulators are off the hook. But if regulators don't take action, then they dig themselves into a very deep pool. The law requires the FDA, FDA to stop the vaccine. Now, I don't know what the law requires. I don't know what the FDA knew or what Health Canada knew. And that's the other interesting um, component of this. Um, So Health Canada has sent out an email about this. And I'm going to play a clip in just a moment um, talking about actually what Health Canada said about this SV40 promoter, this uh, adulteration in the vaccine, acknowledging its existence, but not doing anything to communicate, to tell people to stop getting vaccinated. So first, what I want to do is play a little clip here talking about um, SV40 and what it is. So we'll get to that clip first as I pull this up. This is from the interview, like I said, uh, of Steve Kirsch. Uh, The interview we did is on Rumble with Steve Kirsch, Byron Brittle, and Chris Martinson. And here we go. This is close enough. So this here, this is uh, Kevin McKernum. I might have left his name out talking about it before, but Kevin McKernum is the uh, individual who has found this SV40 in the vials of the vaccine and brought it to the attention of the scientific community. So this is him talking about it physician or doctor. So I I just want to let everyone know that my position here is really good. I'm good at studying DNA. It's there. All right. We've got that confirmed all over the world. Um, Six different labs. Um, We we would have it in 12 more labs. We've got a list of labs asking for these PCR kits. We couldn't supply them because we just didn't have enough of them. So we've been, uh, we finally have them manufactured at some scale where we can give them out to more people. But um, it's there in the vials. The next question is, is it in patient samples that have been injured? Is it in patient samples that haven't been injured? We need to look at both populations to see, what, see what's going on here. Um, so for those not familiar with what this bioactive molecule is, uh, this SV40 enhancer has been published uh, prolifically as being a tool used in gene therapy. So it takes DNA and drags it right to the nucleus in hours. Um, we can also forward your audience other papers suggesting that when you do mammalian transfection like this, a subset of the cells, somewhere around seven to ten percent of the cells, get permanently integrated when you bombard them with with um, linear fragments of DNA like this. Uh, so to say that this isn't an issue is really, uh, I think, willful misconduct. Uh, you you have to take a precautionary principle and say, no, wait a minute, we don't know if this is an issue. 
We know there's DNA in there that shouldn't be, that was never disclosed and never consented to. We know it's in a transfection vehicle, and we know it has a sequence that drags it to the nucleus. Those three things are enough to ring alarm bells to stop. Stop and look to see if there's integration happening. Because if there is, there's a whole host of other complications that we have to begin looking at. Uh, so, so I, I okay, so we'll we'll stop that right there. And you know, like I said at the top, I'm I'm not an expert in this. You know, a lot of this stuff is is over my head. And really, the, in the next clip I'm going to play here, it really talks about you know the key. The key in all of this is what did the regulators know? What did Pfizer and Moderna know? And why aren't they communicating what they know now? Because now they've been made aware that this SP40 adulteration is in these vaccine valves, which are being given to people right now. And a different part story in this interview, they talk about, you know, there being a, a correlation between uh, the valves that have higher amounts of this genetic mutation and with uh, adverse reactions and, uh, and also the, the opposite, lower amounts, less adverse reactions. So, you know, I'm not an expert, like I said, but this potentially could be some, uh, some pretty big news in this, uh, in this vaccine front here. So what I'm going to do next, this next clip I'm going to show is where they get into talking about what did uh, Health Canada know. So Health Canada is t- tantamount to being the, uh, you know, same as the Canada's version of the FDA. So we're going to get into that one. Closed all kinds of things, but not that SV40 enhancer. And, and can I just tell you something, just, I, just really quickly for your listeners, Steve, because I think this is really important. Listen, I've, I've got the quotes. This is this. So your listeners understand this is what Health Canada, your equivalent of the FDA, said in an email. This isn't my words. This is what they said. Listen, Health Canada expects sponsors to identify any biologically functional DNA sequences within a plasmid such as an SV40 enhancer. And this is to be done at the time of submission. And then it says here, Health Canada says- Wait a minute, wait a minute. It said that? Yes, yes. Yep, and then then they go on to say, the sponsor, which of course is Pfizer, right, um, did not specifically identify the SV40 sequence. And then they say- it was possible for Health Canada to confirm the presence of the enhancer based on the plasmid DNA sequence submitted by Pfizer against the published SV40 enhancer sequence. So again, that's what we just talked about. They submitted the 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 sequence as a data file, right? So they have a computer file sitting there with the sequence. They could see, and then they looked at Pfizer's document after Kevin published his data, and they said, my goodness, Kevin found this, but it isn't listed anywhere on here. But we do have the gene sequence, so we can go back. And Kevin's the expert on this. He can tell you. You could blast that in a publicly available database, that you, a beautiful one that your government offers. And in a few minutes, you can show, bang, 100% match up for the SV40 enhancer sequence in the plasmid. That's what they did. Right. So so it's the equivalent, you know, so for the lay public, this is the equivalent of a, like a bill in Congress where they have this long bill. You know, it's 500 pages long, and they sneak in a little piece here that says, and now uh, we're going to strip all uh, power from the president or something like that. So, so what they're, what they're showing now is that was Steve Kirsch talking there. First, it was uh, Byron Brittle talking. What they're showing on the screen now is they're actually showing um, the difference between the, uh, the uh, uh, genetic sequencing of what was shown to the 
FDA by uh, by Pfizer, and then also then showing what was what was left out the uh, this the SV40 being omitted, and they get into talking about um, the only way this would happen because this is all done all the sequences is done you know with you know computer al- algorithm software modeling this isn't like done by hand so the only way this would be removed is if it was taken out really manually um, which would imply that it was being hidden um, on purpose. I, you know, and they don't call it to anyone's attention, but they can say, yes, it was in the bill that you signed, but they didn't call it out. Is that, is that, is, uh, is that it's, not a, it's not as simple as that. As I just mentioned to you, the Health Canada themselves has disclosed Pfizer is required to disclose to them any right, bioactive right. sequence. So it's worse than that because it's not just that it got snuck in. It's that it got snuck in, but it's equivalent of there being a rule. You cannot sneak anything else, anything in without making it explicitly clear to us that you've inserted that. Yes. Okay. That's the so, difference. Okay. So we have a diagram on the screen here, um, and this is uh, uh, Kevin's uh, screen. And this is, if you, it, there's a duplicate of this in, in Kevin's video uh, testimony that it was on the, uh, the World Council for Health. And so if you want to uh, go through this and explain this with the mouse, yeah. uh, Kevin, that'd be awesome. Just to give you a sense of, of, of what they've... So this is the plasma they gave to the EMA. I'm assuming this is what they gave to Health Canada. You can see they've annotated the spike protein here. They've put in this F1 element, this poly-A linker. They even annotated this little five base pair sequence known as the... E- all right. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna listen to all of that. Um, I encourage everyone to go and you know watch this entire video on Rumble. I will link to it on the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com. You can also probably find it in the show notes of your your podcasting app if you know how that works. Which I don't know if uh, podcasting apps even <laughs> provide clickable links. Um, they probably don't. So go to lionsofliberty.com. You'll find it there, or just search on Rumble on Steve Kirsch's page and it'll, it'll pop up. Um, you know, the key thing for me from this, you know, do I think anything, anything will come from this? I, I don't know. I'm cautiously hopeful because for a couple different reasons, um, the, uh, the uptake. So people taking the booster vaccines, is that an all time low? It's something like less than 2% of people who are getting boosted. So Pfizer, Moderna, you know, these companies are on the ropes. Um, combine that with the fact that this is a, a vaccine that didn't work. Um, and I think it, it gets interesting when you start looking at the political ramifications. So this was still, if we go backtrack to the beginning of this thing, and Donald Trump will still say this today, this is still a Donald Trump vaccine. And I'm not what I'm going to say next here. You know, this doesn't mean that I think this will happen. This is me just kind of just brainstorming, you know, thinking out loud things that could potentially happen in the coming months. If this were to blow up and, uh, you know, Pfizer and Moderna and the FDA and Health Canada and whoever else is involved in this gets, uh, you know, implicated in in some sort of uh, some sort of fraud and then lawsuits start flying. Um. Potentially, it could once and for all take down Donald Trump since this is his baby. Operation Warp Speed, cutting corners, making things you know get through quickly to get deadlines in order in order for these companies to secure their funding and uh, and, and meet uh you know and meet the deadlines they had to. Um, also, it could be the end of Joe Biden, the greatest vaccine salesman of all time, who sold his vaccines with a gun to your head. 
Um, but it, I mean, and, and I say this is possible. I'm not, I, I'm not saying I think this will happen. It's definitely a, a you know, a non-zero probability of happening um, for, I mean, because Trump is so unpopular, any other reason they they can get on over Trump, I think it's possible. Biden, the Democrats are looking for any way possible to get out of running him as president on the uh, on the Democrat ticket. So could this be the way out? Um, the reason why I don't think it will play out this way is because there are still so many people who control the media and have high positions of influence that are still very much bought in to the COVID narrative that getting vaccinated and wearing your mask and all of this stuff was the only way to, to do things. Otherwise, you're basically a terrible person. So those people would have to at least partially admit that they are wrong unless they're able to spin it in a way that they are putting all of the fault on Pfizer, Moderna, um, I can't see them putting fault on the FDA. Somehow the FDA and Health Canada, these government agencies will wiggle their way out of it and uh, and put it on the private sector. Um, who knows what what could come from this? I, I really I really don't know what direction this is going to go. I don't think it's a nothing burger. I think there is something here. And I think this does at the very least open up Pfizer and Moderna for some lawsuits and maybe a, uh, a gigantic settlement for people who have been vaccine injured. So something to keep an eye on. Um, I do encourage people, like I said, to go watch that video because a lot of this language, um, you know, I'm not a vaccinologist. I'm not a scientist. A lot of this stuff is over my head. So please check it out for yourself. Okay. Getting to something that is not over my head. Um, Donald Trump Jr. I think him and I probably, you know, on the same, not on the same page, but he's not going to say things that are going to go over my head. I think uh, his wavelength is is in an area where I can pretty much pick up everything he's putting down. So Donald Trump Jr. retweeted a tweet from Kim.com. Kim.com, of course, the creator of Mega Upload back in the day where you could download music and all kinds of stuff and really was the start of uh, file sharing um, on the internet. Not, maybe not the start. Maybe Napster was the start, but he was a big, big player in it. I think he's in New Zealand. Um, anyway, he's been very good all throughout COVID, calling out the COVID regime. He's very anti-war. He's very anti-establishment, anti-New um, World Order. So Kim.com tweets out an article um, from the Berliner, uh, and he says, Ukraine was ready to sign a peace agreement with Russia, but the U.S. government did not allow it, confirmed by Gerhard Schroeder, former leader of Germany, Donald Trump Jr. quotes that, says, there's no money in peace. That's why DC is always pushing for more war. Enough already. We are all we are all onto your corrupt grift, you scumbags. And I like how Scott Horton tweeted Donald Trump's tweet out, just said enough already, because that, of course, is, is Scott's book. Um, good play there by Scott Horton, and maybe uh, sell some books. But it's good to see um, Donald Trump Jr. calling out war. And I mean, we're talking about Ukraine here, um, but he is recognizing the military industrial conference, uh, uh, the military industrial complex being, you know, really this very dangerous um, marriage 
between government and the private sector. Really, a really a, just a, a tentacle of government that uh, masquerades as as being private sector. And th- there was a conversation the other day that I saw. I think it was on Facebook, might have been on Twitter, where somebody was questioning, you know, why do these companies like Boeing and Northrop Grumman and um, Raytheon why are they so tied up in the military industrial complex? Like why, why, like as a, as a, as a strategic goal for how you're going to make money as a business, why have they picked defense? Well, I'll tell you why, because it's extremely, extremely lucrative and they're working in an area that has a high level of uh, proprietary, um, you know, security standards where you know people can't touch the technology they've created and also it's very highly specialized you have a, a pool of employees of engineers of um, very very smart people who have this very particular expertise they're able to make a ton of money in it and they're able to use their expertise to help these companies to make a ton of money and really to to unwind that model um it really would go against a lot of incentives, human incentives. So the human incentives to, to, and this, I mean, and this isn't capitalism. This is, you know, crony capitalism. This is a corporatocracy, corporatocracy. I can never say that word. I love to use it, but I can never say it. Um, It's the marriage between government and the private sector, but it's escalated to a point that it's not even recognizable as being private sector. Let me get a drink of water. But at the end of the day, it's good to see Donald Trump Jr. speaking out against this with regards to Ukraine. Yes, there could have been peace in Ukraine spring, spring of 2022. Um, you know, I've, I've, I think I've talked about on this show or maybe it was on uh, Meme Wars with Brian uh, how the U.S. sent Boris Johnson in right before you know he stepped down in the uh, in the UK or, or right before his term was up in the UK to uh, to break up the peace deal between Russia and uh, and Ukraine. But this article in the Berliner says that Ukraine was not acting in their own self interest. They had to run everything by by the U.S. and the Ukraine actually did not want to join NATO, but they had to run everything by the U.S. And the U.S. wanted war. And it'll be interesting to see to get back to Donald Trump Jr. I haven't been following, you know, what what he's been saying about the uh, the Israeli uh, Hamas conflict uh, war. Um, what he's been saying about U.S. involvement in it, I haven't seen any of that. Um, so it'll we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Is Donald Trump Jr. an ally? Sometimes, like most people, they're they're allies when when we agree with them. When we don't agree with them, then they're uh, they're no better than uh, than the other side. So we're going to get back later. The last topic we're, we're going to talk about the uh, Israeli Hamas conflict. Before we do that, I want to touch on a couple interesting um, graphs, uh, data points that I've stumbled upon in the past couple weeks here. So once again, the famous screen share. So if you're watching on YouTube or Rumble, you'll see a couple charts here. I'll, you don't have to see the charts. I'll uh, I'll describe them as well. So it's uh, it's labeled America's wealth in four charts. So the first chart 
in the upper left-hand corner shows along the x-axis you have 1989 um, until today until 2023 and then on the y-axis you have zero dollars to uh two hundred thousand dollars and it's tracking median net worth i do feel like median is a better indicator of uh you know finding that uh a true midpoint than looking at average because average is really going to be skewed um to the to the upper wealth earners but the median net worth is at $192,000, almost $103,000. And it has really, really skyrocketed from like 2019 until 2023. In fact, from 2019 until 2022, it's gone up 37%. And that's at the same time where during the same time frame, 2019 to 2022, median incomes in America have only risen by 3%, which is just crazy to think. With the amount of inflation we've had, un- unprecedented inflation, that incomes have only gone up 3% to match that inflation. That's why people are hurting so bad right now. Um, I think everybody feels it. If, if you don't feel the inflation right now, going to the grocery store, getting gas, buying anything anywhere, um, then you just have no concept of money. Uh, you know, concept of budgets. You're either extremely wealthy or you're in extreme credit card debt because literally you go to the grocery store and compared to like 2018, 2019, prices today are at least double for a lot of stuff, almost everything. It's rare to find things that like have not doubled in price, which is crazy. Like crazy to have your budget, um, your monthly budget, your weekly budget, every budget jump by that much when you're only getting 3% more in your income. So it's tough to make things fit. I always talk about finding alternative sources of of income, building alternative income streams. I think everyone should do it. Um, And if if you're not doing it, you're really putting yourself and your family at risk. So um, something I talk about a lot. But to get back to this, so where is this wealth coming from? Well, if I mean, it's not hard to see. I mean, you look at the real estate market in the past couple of years, um, houses have doubled in price. So that's, I mean, it's not coming from income. It's coming from um, asset inflation in the housing market. Stocks, for the most part, are up. Well, I mean, the, really, the core stocks are up, like your your Googles, your, your Amazons, your Facebooks, especially looking like into the you know first three quarters of this year, the major players are up pretty well, like forty percent, um, just just this year. So that's that is driving stocks and the real estate market. It is 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 what's driving the median net worth of uh, Americans up. Um, I mean, previously, if we go back to like two thousand, um, yeah, before the two thousand eight um, collapse. Yeah, we were up. It looks like like one hundred and seventy thousand. It looks like then we dipped way down from that, kind of built our way back up slowly. Interesting. There's no blip during COVID. Maybe that was just so quick it doesn't register on here for a. Uh, well, I guess people saved it. Yeah, the, our, the wealth, our wealth didn't take a hit during COVID. It's kind of slow, slowly playing out over time. Um, anyway, so some other charts to look at here that um that are in this same set of charts. If we look at Net worth by selected percentiles, you can see the top 10% um, is driving everything. Uh, 
their net worth 3.8 million. Um, the 75 to 89 percentile, so 75 to 90, is uh, 1.4 million. And then you have the zero to 25 percent. So a quarter of the population has a net worth of 3.4 thousand net worth. Let that sink in. That's not a lot of money. Um, looking at these other charts, they do they break it down by household share, um, net worth by by college and all others. You can see over time the share of college, um, household wealth share. So overall, um, this is in trillions, I believe, has uh, has gone up. College students, or college graduates have gotten more, but you can see it's starting to kind of starting to turn here. As you get into 2022, 2023, see a little drop in college and it's starting to level out with uh, with everything else. So things I think are starting to change in that uh, in that area. It'll be interesting to watch. And then lastly, you have it um, divvied up by age. You got uh, the smallest share under 40, next smallest 40 to, to uh, 54, and then of course, 55 to 69 and over 70. And same thing, over 70 starting to turn. Um, and uh, 55 to 69, you know, starting to expand as, you know, they're entering or in 55, 69, you're in your prime income year, income earning years and uh, wealth building years as well. All right. So next chart I want to look at, we want to talk, talk about, um, you, I mean, and this is not surprising, but I think it's really interesting to see this on a chart, just how dramatic this shift has been in the past 50 years. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, 50 years is, is not really a lot of time. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> talking, uh, my wife and I were, you know, talking with our daughter and we like to talk about, um, you know, how old we are and like what it was like when we grew up in the, in the 1980s, 1990s. And she refers to uh, the 1980s, 1990s as the olden days. And at first I was like, wow, that's crazy. You could you think that's the olden days. But then I started thinking, well, wait a minute. So I was born in 1983. So if an adult asked me, my daughter's eight right now. So if I'm born in 83, someone asked me in 1991, um, subtracting 40 years off of 1991, someone said, so what do you think about the 1940s? Were those uh, or 1950s, 40s or 50s? Were those the olden days? I would I would I would say yeah that's that's pretty old, um, so I, I I definitely get it, but to to get back to this chart, so we're looking back fifty years, in nineteen seventy, over seventy percent of the population had a great deal to a great deal to a fair amount of trust in the mainstream media, and that's you know mass media that's newspapers TV radio. Things really, I guess there were really not many surveys here, not many data points here between 75 and maybe 97. But so from 75 to 97, the trust drops from plus 70 to right around a little bit above 50. From there, it's just a straight downward track year by year, pretty much with a little bit up and down. But where we're at now today um, 32% of the public has a great deal or a fair amount of trust. If you look on the opposite end of it, in 1970, 
like 5% of people, 5% did not trust the mass media. Fast forward, well, let's before I fast forward all the way, if we look at like 97, that same you know kind of midpoint, it was up to like 10%, 11%. So, so it had doubled. Where are we at now? We're at 39%. It is really escalating. If you look at like from 2016 till today, 2016, it was like maybe, uh, looks like 21, maybe, eh, maybe, maybe 24%. Now we're at 39. So I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a white pill uh, for sure. It's it's not a bad thing that people are not trusting uh, the mass media. You know, mass media has always been lying and doing the bidding of uh, of government agencies, and it's just become blatantly obvious that they're lying. And how this plays out in the years to come, you know, I, I don't think the the CNNs and the the Fox Newses and the MSNBCs of the worlds are are going to they're not going to exist in their same format for that much longer. I don't think Um, that's not to say that they will go away. um, But I think you will see how they deliver news and how they try to influence um, the media change or how they try to influence the population change. I think you'll see a shift into, you know, influencers and influencers um, carrying that message more so than it coming from, and the government using influencers to carry that message more shit, more so than using the Fox newses and the CNNs of the world to, uh, to carry their message. But just interesting to look at charts like that. All right. So a couple more things I did want to talk about, or actually, actually just one more thing. Um, there was an article in the sun, which uh, is titled six terrifying steps that could see the Gaza crisis spiral into World War III. Brit and U.S. boots on the ground warns ex-Navy chief. This is a U.K. Navy chief, um, Admiral Lloyd West, which his actual name is Alan William John West. Could you get any more British than that? Um, but yeah, so former former Navy chief in the uh, in the U.K. and he really highlights. He highlights these six areas, and I'm not going to really. The article doesn't go into detail, but you know, I, I think looking at each of these areas, I think the takeaway you're going to have is that we're, some of these cases it's already occurred, or it's it's going to occur here soon, um, and, and the rest of them it's really not that far fetched, which is very, 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 very scary. Um, one thing I want to say first before I get into this article. So with the the conflict, you know, with the Israel Gaza, uh, the Israel Hamas conflict, war, um, you know, you see on Twitter, you see on TV, the bombs being dropped. You see the footage of you know children without mothers. You see, in, in you saw the terrorist attack that uh, that Hamas, um, you know, that, that Hamas carried out against the Israeli people, which was horrifying. Um, but the response, I mean, and, and this is what, where I really, really struggle to, uh, you know, make sure I'm communicating this in the right way. And I, I try to, I try to relate back to really how I feel about war. And I just think a lot of people just, for whatever reason, they don't 
make war personal in their mind. They are so detached from it because we haven't had war in the United States in a very, very long time. Nobody in the United States who's alive today can remember participating in a war on U.S. soil. Um, so it, it's very easy to become detached from it. It's very easy to see the bombs being dropped on your uh, on your television screen and instead of having a reaction of terror and a reaction of, will I be bombed next? It's a reaction of, Ooh, did we get the bad guys? Ooh, that's a big explosion. What did it blow up? Oh, let's see what blew up there. And I think back to when I was a kid, um, during operation desert storm with, uh, George HW Bush as president. And, you know, I was raised in a relatively conservative household, I guess, you know, looking back, um, Republican, my, my, my dad was a, was a Republican then. And, uh, I think he would still consider himself to a certain extent a, a Republican now. Um, but I, I, I remember cheering the bombing of, of Baghdad, of Iraq and, you know, thinking like, yeah, the good guys are on the attack. Yeah, we're going to get them. Yeah, let's go, good guys. Let's let's drop those bombs. And kind of looking at it like a, like a firework, fireworks display. And I wrote an article about this years ago when we first started Lions of Liberty, um, titled something like uh, How I Awoke from My Neoconservative Coma. I don't even think you can find it on the internet anymore, unless maybe someone else posted it somewhere else. Um if the Daily Paul was still around, the uh, the great form back in the day, in the uh, I guess that probably went out, went out, went out of uh, out of print in like 2012, 2013, but it was posted on the Daily Paul. Got a great response there. But when I was a little kid, that's why I thought about war, and I think that's the same way how people are thinking about war today. And this isn't just little kids who think about war this way. This is grown adults who are looking at war. And they see the horrible terrorist attack. And, you know, not even to mention, was there provocation? You know, the, the way that the, the, Palestinians, the Palestinian people are living in this small area in Gaza where Hamas has been able to come to power. But without any of that, that stuff's not important. I mean, it, it is important, but just from a, a high level, War, looking at war, I think of the children in the war. And, you know, I changed my perspective on this when I became a libertarian, really. And I started looking at the horrors of war, the death and destruction of war. And I try to look at war through the eyes of like a six or seven or eight year old. I try to imagine, you know, what is it like for someone in Palestine to see their mother killed, you know, for someone in Iraq to see their, their uncle killed in a drone strike. What is it like for, for a young child in, in Ukraine when their dad goes off to fight, doesn't come back. Same thing in Russia. Young Russian goes off with a young family. The dad never comes back. That's, that's war. Those personal the destruction at the personal level, at the family level, ripping communities apart, ripping families apart, children being raised without fathers, without mothers, children being raised 
and they're angry. They're angry because they don't have parents and they're looking for someone to blame. Who's to blame? Who dropped the bomb? That's who's to blame. And that, in the at the end of the day, that is blowback. As Ron Paul, you know, talked about on the stage famously with Rudy Giuliani back in 2007 at the Republican debate. Um, that is where terrorism comes from. And that's not to excuse terrorism. I'm not excusing terrorism. There's no excuse for violence and killing people and destruction, killing innocent people. No excuse for it. But war is the seed that is planted, that the fruit, part of the fruit of war is violence, is terrorism, is more war. So that's that's how I look at it. And when I, you know, to get back to this article, I did not plan on going off on that rant. Hopefully it made sense. Um, talks about the different things that could happen. First component, Israel overreacts. Some would say that's already happened. Others would say they could easily see that happening. Um, there was a, uh, a news item out earlier today that uh, an Israel tank was you know, working along the, uh, the fence line in Gaza, getting ready for their ground troops to go in, and they took on fire, and there was an is- Israeli soldier who was killed. Um, terrible. I mean, I don't want to see anybody die. I don't want to see any more deaths in this war. And that, I mean, I understand you can't just do that. You can't just snap your fingers and say, you know, I don't want anyone else to die. I mean, this is the situation over there is dire. And I just wish, wish that, you know, de-escalation and cooler heads would prevail, you know, momentarily to get this thing figured out. But I, I don't have high expectations for that to happen. So Israel overreacting, I could easily see that happening. Uh, war spreads to Lebanon. So Hezbollah is in Lebanon. They have a strong military and political grip on Lebanon. Lebanon. I don't know why I can't say that. Um, you know, they, they fought a devastating war against Israel in 2006 that claimed 1,200 lives. So Hezbollah has been sending solidarity rockets across Israel's northern border and threats to join the war. They've been doing this since, you know, the Hamas terrorist attack back on October 7th. So if if the war spreads to another front, another Israeli front to uh, to Lebanon, to, uh, to Hezbollah, it's already happened, really. Could it escalate more? It could easily escalate more. That's totally within the realm of possibility. Next up, Assad and Putin team up. Bashar al-Assad and Putin have already teamed up. Um, you know, they, they teamed up uh, previously when they were when they were fighting ISIS. Um, you know, they have an alliance together. Russia, Russia helped with that. Um does Assad feel like he's going to need to get involved? Putin probably is going to want to be involved and be involved on a side in this conflict. He's already in a proxy war on one front against the United States. Even just politically, would he want to be, for political reasons, to have another front of war against the United States? 
could Russia even even do it? But maybe they would just do it through proxy and they wouldn't need to dedicate any soldiers. Um, could easily see this happening. So this is not good. That's three for three that I think are fairly probable to happen. A war with Iran. So I said that's three or is that four? So Israel overreacts, war spreads to Lebanon, Assad and Putin team up. That's three. So a war with Iran. So, uh, you know, this this admiral says that Iran is a nation hell-bent on destruction. Um, he believes that Iran could use their ability to inspire terrorism in other countries to provoke attacks on Israel. I, I don't know if they're a nation hell-bent on dis- destruction. I, you know, I, I, I'm not saying I think Iran is, a, you know, is, is ruled by, I don't think they're ruled by, you know, the most moral regime. They're absolutely not a, uh, a moral regime, but how many governments are moral? Are they helping on destruction? Probably not. I mean, they're probably, you know, at least thinking rationally for their own nation. So could they get pulled into this? I mean, some would say they've already been pulled in. How much have they been uh, responsible for funding Hamas? You know, they're a, uh, they're a key backer for Hezbollah as well. So in the earlier components of this, we talked about the uh, Israel overreacting uh, in Gaza against Hamas, about Lebanon and uh, Hezbollah getting pulled in, Iran's funding, both of them. So could Iran get pulled in? Sure. I mean, I, I don't know. To what degree? I, I don't know. But if they get pulled into to a, to a degree, then the next item becomes, I don't know. This is where the, the shit would really hit the fan. If the U.S. and the United Kingdom enter the fight and the U.S. is already sending military and naval forces, you know, they got their, um, you know, ships right off the coast, Navy warships. Um, and on Friday, U.S. Navy warships are believed to have fired America's first shots in defense of Israel. So has this already happened? Have we already entered the fight? How far is the U.S. from putting troops on the ground? I could see this happening, too. This is not out of the realm of possibility. And then you get to the last one. Saudi Arabia enters the fray. Um, Saudi Arabia, for years, Iran has supported the uh, the Houthi rebels, the uh, Yemeni Houthi rebels, who are at war with Saudi Arabia. The U.S. has supported Saudi Arabia in that against Houthi rebels. So proxy war, Iran, U.S. proxy war, um, in Yemen, you know, a, a lot of people, Dave Smith has done uh, great work talking about the uh, atrocities in that war. So is Saudi Arabia, if the U.S. gets pulled more into this war, Iran gets pulled into this war, Saudi Arabia, I would guess, would want to be involved as well. And that's, I mean, if this happens, we're we're in freaking trouble, man. Um. I don't know if you've noticed, but I talked about a little earlier on, you know, about some of the um, economic uh, issues we have here in the United States with rampant inflation. We're printing money like crazy. We are, uh, you know, financing on the backs of future generations in this country. And they might not be that distant in the future that really see 
the ramifications from reckless spending, reckless money printing, reckless warfare, reckless proxy wars, reckless death and destruction, reckless leadership, reckless egoism. I don't know how this ends, how this plays out. Um, I'm optimistic overall for humanity because I have to be, because I have a daughter and I'm not going to, I'm not going to approach my day to day to day life in this world with an attitude that I can't do something to make things better. That a community of people cannot come together to make things better. And I'm not saying that, okay, if we just all vote for the right person and and do the right thing, then we're going to change this thing and turn it around. I I don't think it's going to be that easy. I think we're going to have some hard times. I think we're going to have some hard times in this country. A lot of the world is already having hard times. I think one of the reasons you're seeing a lot of this immigration coming up from South America, you're seeing a lot of immigration from Africa up into Europe. Um, You're seeing third world countries, poorer nations of the world, people trying to get out, who I think are seeing a much worse economic impact to the worldwide COVID mandates, COVID regime, um, COVID economic destruction. They're seeing the impacts to it and they're scrambling to try to get to a ship to weather the storm as the tide rises. And the tide's going to rise and I think things will get bad. It's not going to help us if we're in a war. The sick thing is, and we talked about this, um, this very topic in, in Conspiracy Corner, which is a bonus show here in Lions of Liberty. You can, of course, get access to all of our bonus shows by going to patreon.com slash Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. And we talked about Iron Mountain. So this uh, um, article or really research that was done at the time released and said to be satirical. Um, where they talked about needing to replace war. If you enter a time of peace, what happens to nations? Are nations able to to stay um, united together if they can't unite behind a war? Can economies keep um, you know keep rolling, keep growing if there is no war? Um, so there are people out there in governments and in military who think this way. And, you know, there's people who say Iron Mountain's satirical, and it really doesn't matter. Maybe it is, maybe it wasn't. Um, maybe they were planning out the, uh, you know, climate change back in the, uh, back in the 60s. But it, it really doesn't matter because there are people, there are a lot of people, the, uh, the, Krug, the Paul Krugmans of the world who believe in the broken window fallacy, who think if you knock a building down and rebuild it, that you're, that you're generating some kind of wealth, that you're stimulating the economy. If you blow up bridges in Ukraine and rebuild them, that you're stimulating the economy. And that's just not right. That's, I mean, it's not right on a moral or ethical level. Um, it's not right to do that. And it's also not right because you're, uh, you know, there's, there's opportunity cost with everything. That money could have been used for something very useful could have been used. You know, the, (laughs) I think the answer that the people go to 
all the time is like, could have been used to cure cancer, could have been used to, to make flying cars, could have been used for who knows what it could have been used for. But it's making the world worse doing that. It's making human existence worse doing that. Destruction is always bad. Um, even if it gives this, you know, short term, um, creates some short term jobs and short term boom in, in the economy. Politicians can can get by um, selling, you know, selling that type of stuff and they can get they can get elected on it. They created this many jobs on this infrastructure project or this or or because of because of this or that. But but it's not it's not real. It's not real. It's all uh, it's all it's all. It's a fallacy. It's a fallacy that it works. So anyway, guys, I am going to wrap up the show on that note. And, uh, you know, I've meandered all the way from talking about the COVID vaccine through talking about the American economy, a little bit of Donald Trump Jr. baked in. No one trusts the mass media all the way to the war. Um, the Israel versus Gaza war that is going on. The Israel versus Hamas conflict that is uh that is unfolding and, and we're watching daily to see what happens so th- these are trying times guys so stay uh stay engaged you know talk to your friends talk to your neighbors i i don't encourage you to get you know too uh wrapped up in following every little detail of it on twitter i don't think the human brain is meant to know every single piece of news in the world that is happening at every, at every single moment in time, I think that's unhealthy. So I'd encourage you to take a step back, read a book, listen to a podcast like this one. If you do want to get informed, Brian always does, does a great job informing on, uh, on current events. You can check out his show on Wednesday. Um, yeah. Or if you just want to laugh and also get a little taste of current events, you can check out Meme Wars every Friday here on the Lions of Liberty Network. Just be sure to subscribe to the Lions of Liberty Network, either on your podcasting app and or on YouTube or Rumble. And if you are subscribed on YouTube, be sure to click that notification bell so you actually get notified when we go live, when we publish videos and do all that good stuff. You can follow me on social media, on Twitter, at John Odermatt, Instagram, at John Odermatt. I'm on Facebook as well. And with that being said, guys, always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.